and uh, I call it a grace awakening. And uh, I would ask you to please turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And we look to awakening grace, 2 Corinthians 12. Now Paul is describing what most scholars believe is an, an event in his own life. Though he doesn't identify himself, he says, I knew a man that ascended into the third heavens. We understand it to be him because he goes on to continue to say that because of that experience, God had to send a, de- a demonic thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. So you put two and two together. And he's talking about an experience that he had that was amazing. Some might ask, well, was this his Damascus Road experience? I don't know. It could be. I, I think it happened to be something beyond that, as he describes in the book of Galatians, that no man taught him, but he was taught by Christ himself. He said he heard things, saw things that no man could utter. And he brought the gospel to the Gentiles, and he, he really brought the revelation of, of God's program and, and dominion for his church. And so in this, Paul states in first, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know, but God knows. He can't figure it out. Isn't that, I like that. Sometimes, why don't you just leave some of this stuff alone and just go with it? Trying to figure everything out. Spend more time. Was I in the body or was I in the spirit? Just get the message. I know that this man, whether in the body or not, I don't know, God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that men... Man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. That's true humility. You're in the presence of God. You recognize that you have nothing to offer to the kingdom except being a vessel of honor that God would use for the kingdom. Let's not get the messenger mixed up with the message. And I'm afraid we're spending more time looking at the messengers. Most of the time because they don't have much of a message. It's amazing to me that we've taken the gospel of Jesus Christ and we've had to add light shows, fog machines, gimmicks, posters, and everything else to a a life-changing message, but it doesn't attract people. How can this not attract people? Maybe it should just attract those who want to be attracted. Jesus spoke in parables to do just that thing. Folks, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 saved, but you know how many tens of thousands were in that city? There's always a first fruits. I'm sidetracking, but I'm on it. I... (laughs) And so I need to say that, you know, we're preparing for each. Look at, just look for first fruits. Look for the one, the two, the three that will respond to the word of God. But don't cheapen the word. Don't minimize the word. And I'm afraid uh, many are preaching less of a word and, and, and attracting people to a minimal gospel. Then when times get tough, they walk away. As John says, they, they went out from us because they were never of us. 
So I go on. And Paul says, you know, don't look at me. I can tell you some amazing things, but don't, don't boast about me, and I'm not going to boast about me. To keep me from becoming conceited, because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, when you recognize your human frailty, your human depravity, uh, and, and recognize when flesh is getting in the way, God will expose it so that you will allow Him to be exposed instead of you. And so there's a principle here to the grace awakening. And it's what I want to show you. He continually exposes our weaknesses in order to cause us to trust in Him more. That's what was happening here with Paul. Paul was doing, now consider this, Paul was doing not just miracles, but in the book of Acts it's described as special miracles. I mean, those are miracles. Now, isn't a miracle already something that's special? Isn't a miracle something already outside of the realm of the average? And so all the apostles are doing signs and wonders, many miraculous signs, but Paul's doing advanced miracles miraculous it's it's an amazing thing when you consider this and yet he cannot shake off this thorn in the flesh he can't pray against it he can't break it off of him why not this is a guy doing an amazing thing because god is the one in fact who permitted it and god wanted it to take that place why why did he want paul to have a thorn in the flesh now personally i do not believe paul's thorn in the flesh was a physical ailment uh, because when you look at the term thorn in the flesh, in which Paul is using, and he would have only had the Old Testament scriptures to make that statement and to draw from, that is a term in the Old Testament thorn in the flesh of some person who is uh, dogging you, if you will. Someone who's after you, someone who's always challenging you, chiding you, and uh, abusing you and hurting you. They're a thorn in your flesh. Thorn in my side. And so it's a typical vernacular of the Old Testament. And we know through the accounts of the New Testament that Paul was continually uh, having his ministry usurped and trying to be uh, attacked by the Judaizers, that he would go into a city, preach the gospel, leave, and they'd follow right after him. And Paul's saying, this is the thorn in my flesh. I'm trying to get something accomplished, and they keep trying to undo it. But beside all that, so they can settle that in your brain and put it aside, the issue is God purposely, continually caused Paul to go through difficulties so he he would only rely on God's power and not his own. And what he says is, my grace is sufficient for you. My cleansing is sufficient. If you don't understand the sufficiency of God's grace to save you, keep you, while you were a sinner, Christ saved you. His love ordained sovereignly to save you and His grace keeps you, not your ability. 
If you think it's your ability, he's going to buffet you. He's going to chide you. He's going to put you through all sorts of trouble so you'll fall flat on your face and finally recognize the grace that sustains you. Do you get it? So this is not going to cease till we get to heaven because we people tend to think we're getting the job done. And the more we grow in maturity and grow in grace and grow in our abilities to use the giftings God has given us, He's going to allow further distractions and troubles and problems to cause you to be humble and always depend on His grace. He disciplines those whom He loves. So brothers and sisters, don't buy the sweet, tickling gospel that tells you it's a primrose lane. That if you're really of faith, you're not going to have this problem and that problem and this problem. My God puts those problems in my way so that I will depend completely on Him. And so I will learn how to be an overcomer. You're not an overcomer if you haven't overcome something. Does that make sense to you? So if you're looking for something to to, to put on cruise while you're just... Uh, chilling through the gospel ventures, I wonder if you're fully alert to what the Spirit's saying. He's going to continually expose your weaknesses so that you will depend on the sufficiency of His grace. There is no greater enemy to your sanctification than self-sufficiency. We stop operating in faith and we function in our abilities. I know how to do this. I got this. I can handle that. Let's try this as a church project. Can we do it? It's kind of hard. We can handle it. Good. No faith required. That's typically how we operate, brothers and sisters. I'm being challenged by God to begin operating in realms that I can't handle so that I will be utterly weak and dependent on the grace that's called me to it. And so, brothers and sisters, we must, we must call upon faith for that grace to intervene. Paul said, I'm sick of this. I'm praying. Get this thing out of me. In Jesus' name, I bind that thorn of the flesh. Still here. I'm going to fast against it. Father God, I break this thing. I know I've seen. While he's laying hands on the sick, the dead are rising. He's healing people. He's cursing sorcerers. And he can't get rid of this stinking thing. All right, I'm going back again. Number three. God! Maybe if I speak in King James. Oh, thou Father, glorious and mighty. Still there. No, he got it. When God spoke to him a revelation, said, my grace is sufficient to compensate for whatever trouble is coming your way. You glory in my grace, and that's going to satisfy whatever stripes they've beaten you with, Paul. You got knocked around a couple stones right to the head. You're bleeding and suffering. My grace will soothe that. It won't stop the shipwrecks. It won't stop them chiding you. It won't stop them saying you're a lousy preacher and short of stature and you have a big nose. Oh, that may hurt your feelings, but my grace can compensate for all of that, for you're my servant and I love you. My grace is going to get you through it. And he says, I've learned to glory in that. 
by my weakness, by what I recognize I'm weak in. I find grace that makes me strong. And again, I'm restored. This morning, we called out sin. This morning, we said, come on, confess. Come on, put an end to it. Agree with God that it's sin. Why? Because you'll turn to grace when you recognize the sin. Too many Christians wear masks to church. We're not just dressing up in fancy outfits. We're dressing up in our face mask. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Bless God. All is well. But in this place when we can come together and say, Oh God, I fall on my knees. I've sinned. I need, rep- I need repentance. I, I, I need godly sorrow to work in me to bring me back to that place where I understand it is grace and grace alone that makes me stand. That in this grace where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. You can't ever lose that equation in your life, brothers and sisters. Grace much more abounds. The only way to continually expose you to your sin is to assure you of the strength of grace. So God will, and as Paul listed it, he said, you know what? I delight in my weakness. I'll take insults. I'll take hardships. I'll take persecution, and I'll take difficulties. Because what do all of those things do? They show me my weakness. They show me I'm just flesh. They show me that even though I've been to the third heaven where no man's been, I've heard things. I've seen God. I've seen cherub. I've seen seraphim. I've seen the golden streets of heaven. I heard God's uh, dispensations declared. I know what's going to happen. I know the mind of God. I heard it from His own voice. Yet, just a man saved by God, keep me humble. Because in that, then the miracles can keep coming. The word can keep being preached without being mingled with my foolishness. Paul's thorn kept him reliant on the grace of God instead of his own self-sufficiency. So what I say to you and what I share with you, dear brothers and sisters, is get past this besetting sin. Get past this issue. Get victory over it. So that God can expose another one. And you'll be a victor over that too. But we've got to walk through it. We've got to work through it. We've got to press forward. And God said, I call you my son. I make you victorious. I make you an overcomer. You'll be strong in faith. You'll be able to face sin. You'll be able to confront it. You'll be be able to begin identifying why this stuff comes up. And so some of you are going through things and the reason you're going through things is so that you'll rely on the grace of God to get you through. You'll say, oh, this is another challenge in my life. Why did they do that? And you'll say, oh, because God wants me to know He's in charge. I have to rely on Him through this. I can't fix this one. Turn to James chapter 4 with me. James chapter 4, we'll start at verse 6.
He gives us more grace. He gives more grace. He gives us more grace. Wow. Huh? He gives us more grace. That's why the Scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now let me ask you something. When do you find humility coming quickly to your life? When sin's exposed, right? I I have to give a warning this morning. We called it out, and you had the opportunity to confess it. Those of you who are still hiding unconfessed sin, areas of sin that you think you've been so cleverly uh, keeping from others, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. He gave you an opportunity this morning. He so loves you that He's going to expose that sin to make you utterly shameful. To make you utterly exposed so that you will become humble. He loves you that much. God loves you that much that the secret things you've been hiding, He is going to show and make an open show and absolutely crush you with it. That's His loving heart. And I give that to you so lovingly. And I'm very serious because these are the days that He wants His love shown and exposed. Don't you ever wonder why God allows so much of the foolishness of the church to be exposed on the airwaves? For our big leaders to be exposed for all the filth and things they've done. And it goes on the news reports and it gets in the newspapers. Now the world loves it. They promote it. God, wouldn't you want to rather do that? Not a holy God. Sin is sin to God. He's dealing with his kids, his children. And he exposes it because he loves us so much so that we would be humble and recognize the grace that would sustain us. So I'm just putting that out there for you this morning. Please take that as as a word that it's coming your way. Jesus loves you so much that he is absolutely going to expose your sin. First to you, and if you'll not listen, then to those all around you. We can count on it. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Oh, we love that scripture. But we forget the first part of it. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. Come near to God. And he will come near to you. That's what we sang about. Wash your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning. And your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will lift you up. And that's it. And that's it. You must understand grace. You must come to an understanding that God's grace over you is so sufficient and so secure that He'll expose your sin continually and always so that you'll recognize where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. You'll walk humbly and He'll lift you up as an overcomer over all these issues. But you must rely on the grace to do it. The grace to do it. And He gives grace to us. 
And so I believe that what God is going to do in this community and in this area is a grace awakening. And in order for there to be a grace awakening, there must be an exposure of what? Yes. You've seen it. You've seen it in the news in the city of Detroit. You've seen it in local governments. You've seen it. God's going to bring a grace awakening. He wants to bring salvation. In order to bring salvation, He's going to expose grace. And before grace can ever be shown, all self-sufficiency, all pride, and everything else that is associated to sin must be exposed to humble mankind. Detroit has been humbled. Motor capital of the world, not anymore. One of the best economies in the world, not anymore. One of the most creative cities in the world, not anymore. Bankrupt, corrupt, falling to pieces and in the ashes. Thank God! Thank God! Thank God! Why? Because we will now look to the grace of God for the solution and not our self-sufficiency. We'll recognize there's nothing left but God. We're ripe for the grace awakening. We're ripe. We've been buffeted. We've been wagged at. We've been people dogging us, talking about us, saying Detroit's this, Detroit's nothing, this and that. I'm telling you, rejoice, for your salvation draws near. It's a grace awakening. He will lift up the humble and pour out grace upon us. That's what Paul was saying. God did this to humble me. I've been to heaven and back. God said, that's too much for you to handle. I've got to put a chain on you, a leash to keep you in line. Sometimes we need that. How many of you know that? Keep us humble. And so I believe, brothers and sisters, that, that get ready for the awakening. You see, I, I believe this with all my heart. Uh, there's a lot of talk. There's a lot of... Everybody's coming to Detroit. Prophet after prophet, evangelist after evangelist. Everybody's coming to Detroit because the Spirit's telling them, this is the place, man. Get there, get there. People are coming from all over the world here. And I mean, there's moves of God and everything else. And so you've got prophet this and spirit that and evangelist this, and it's going to be the most Holy Ghost power thing in the world, and it's going to be great, and there's going to be hallelujah, hallelujah. And I'm telling you, as I understand God, before you can get that, You've got to get this. You have got to come into full repentance and humility and recognize it as, but by the grace of God, we will rise out of the ashes. We can have a Holy Ghost party, brothers and sisters, but it's not genuine till it is pouring out of your soul in thanksgiving that His grace is the sufficiency that I need. Amen? And so there's an awakening coming, brothers and sisters, to this. You see, Jesus tried to wake up Peter one night. He said, Peter, please, wake up. Peter, wake up. Can't you pray with me for an hour? Peter, come on, wake up. There is an event that is about to change human history in the scheme of all eternity, and I need you with me, Peter. Why do you sleep? Oh, your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. Peter could have used that extra hour of prayer. How many of you know that? <laughs> I prayed for you, Peter. 
Satan desires to sift you like wheat. Peter slept. He said, awake, awake. Self-secure Christians are asleep in the light. They're weak in grace and trust. Peter said, I would never betray you. I would not leave you nor forsake you. Oh, he was not humble. But he did get humbled. And God rose him, raised him up. But he had to expose him. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, God's in the, in the work right now of exposing so that he will bring humility and repentance. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 11, he says this, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. Well, it's on the internet, you can see it. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it's said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Wake up, O sleeper. That's what God's saying. Arise, shine, your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. So when grace shines, when it begins to illuminate, it exposes the deeds of darkness. I asked you if you wanted to draw near to God. Well, if you want to draw near to God, the brilliance of His glory is going to expose everything in your life. Sin that you didn't even know was there. It's like going to the dentist and him finding more cavities than you even realized. Telling you your gums are all messed up too. You thought you were fine walking in there. You want to draw near to God. You want revival. You want the city changed. You want your life increased. Then get ready to be humbled for the grace of God is going to illumine upon you who you are so that He can make you into who you need to become. Grace awakening. It's coming. It's coming. Awake, O sleeper. He said this to the church at Sardis. He said, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Now, I'm thinking of that, and I'm thinking of all the ads and the different things I see about churches that are alive. Churches that are happening. This church is alive. A lot of activity. A lot of programs. A lot of functions. A lot of excitement. Man, you guys got to go to the church at Sardis. Have you been to Sardis? That place is happening. Church at Sardis, they got this, they got that ministry, they got this ministry, they got that ministry. They've got these, oh man, that's the happening place. Did you see the YouTube on Sardis? It's amazing. I've got seven CDs from the last speaker they had. You've got to go to Sardis. They're alive. Jesus said, you are so dead. So dead. Wow, how can that be? How can our understanding of ourselves be so different from what Jesus sees. Oh, I tremble with that thought. Are we so fooled? Sardis, he said, you say you're alive. 
I don't want to say something about us when he's saying something else about us. I fear and tremble at that. That's called self-deception. Self-deception. Oh, God, help us. Doesn't it make you tremble and wonder, how deceived am I about myself? Paul said, I don't ever want to go there. My grace is sufficient. You keep that thorn right in your side, buddy. It will keep you humble. And in that, you'll see the grace of God. Sardis, you're dead. He says, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete or perfect in the sight of God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. And he'll discipline them. He will discipline them because he disciplines those whom he loves. And that's what he said about Laodicea, which is the very next church. I discipline those whom I love. I've tasted you, and it tastes terrible. And so, brothers and sisters, this is not a, a word of condemnation against us. This is a word of exhortation that we would stay in that place of humility, searching our souls, knowing grace is going to awaken like never before in this city. And if God's going to have a grace awakening, and if he is going to use a people, we must be first. Judgment starts in the house of God. We must be first to humble ourselves before God and in his presence and recognize it's just grace. It's just grace. His grace is sufficient. It's all grace. His grace is going to get the job done. Jonah was in the belly of a ship, and its storms and sea was tossing. God sent the storm. To wake him up, the captain said, what do you mean by this, O sleeper? Get up and call on your God. Get obedient. How many Jonas are in the belly of the church? Storms are going to prevail and winds and gusts and this, everything's going to be shaken that can be shaken. And the world is calling for someone. Awake, prophets. And call on your God. And before Jonah ever called on his God, he still didn't call on his God. They had to throw him overboard. They got sucked in by a big fish. Whether it was a whale or not, I don't know, but God knows. It wasn't until he's on the brink of death. Some say he did die. Some say he was at the place of death. Who knows? But it was at that place he finally called on God, not unlike Sardis when he says, you are near death. You are near death. Hold on to what you have. If there's anything we know, go back to your first love. If there's anything we all know, brothers and sisters, no matter how glorious you sing, no matter how great you prophesy, no matter how much word knowledge you have and the effectiveness of giftings you have, we've been saved by grace. It is a work of God. Everything in our lives is by God. We must honor Him and Him above all things. Stay humble and be ready to recognize grace is everything. I close with this blessing. May your foot be crushed against the wall. What do I mean by that? Numbers chapter 22. Man named Balaam. 
He was on his way to get paid. He got paid to prophesy against Israel. Every time he tried to prophesy, God spoke to him and said, No, don't, don't, don't. Well, the ante was up and paid again, and so he's on his way. And so God sends an, a, a death angel. God sends an angel with a sword ready to strike him down. And as he's riding his donkey, that death angel stands right in front of him, and, the, and he doesn't see him. Now, wait a minute. Back up a minute. Who's Balaam? A prophet of God. Another word for him is a seer. Does he see God's work? He sees the money. Is he gifted? Yes. He can't see the angel of the Lord. The donkey does. The donkey says, no way, I don't like this. Starts moving aside. Balaam whips him. Afflicts him. It gets narrower and narrower. Finally, the donkey, the angel stands at the narrowest point of the path, and the donkey moves away and crushes Balaam's foot against the wall. Balaam gets so angry, he starts beating and afflicting that donkey. Finally, the donkey sits down because it will go no further. And he starts screaming and yelling at the donkey, and the donkey talks back to him. Now, whether the donkey talked or it was in his head, I don't know, but God knows. And the, and the donkey's trying to reason with the prophet of God. How long have I been faithful to you? I've served you all these years. Look at buddy. I'll clean it up. Who's the donkey in this situation? And his eyes are open and he sees the angel. It was affliction. It, was, it wasn't until he got his foot and ankle crushed that he had his eyes opened to the situation he was in. Brothers and sisters, some of your ankle crushing has been by God's design so that we would wake up. Some of the affliction and some of the whipping is because it's God doing something in your life. You've been wanting God to get rid of it when all he's been wanting you to do is repent. Repent. And wake up. Wake up. And so I am readying us as a people to arise and shine. The glory of the Lord is coming upon us. Be awakened to the grace. That's why He wants you to repent so you'll recognize the grace is sufficient to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He immediately forgives and gives you the strength and the insight and the revelation to overcome. Don't hide it. Don't justify it. Bring it before God. Let us all humble ourselves and get ready for the humbling that's coming to this area. And we will be a people who will rely on the grace of God and not our sufficiency. They may ask you to do this or ask for this and that reason and that answer, and you may not have the answer, but you can always point them to Him who is the answer. It is Christ. It is grace and grace alone. It's Jesus Christ. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So come to Him this morning and find yourself rescued. And if your ankle's crushed, thank God, get off your highfalutin donkey and fall flat on the ground and say, Oh God, forgive me. I recognize Your grace has awakened once again in my life my condition.